Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Julia Baldwin-Taylor is a creative biz owner and transformational coach. She and her mother were both diagnosed with cancer in January 2019. After making some major shifts in her life and business, she learned to hustle less and live more and attract more success. And she loves to help other entrepreneurs to do the same. And we're going to learn more about what she offers Thank you so much for coming on today, Julia, and sharing your story. And it sounds like a little bit of your mom's too. Yes. Um, So take us back. I know right before I hit record, you said the same month. So tell us about January 2017. What the hell happened? (laughs) So my mom and I were actually both diagnosed with ovarian cancer the same month. So the same type of cancer, different cell type. um, And it was just 27 days apart. Um, Fortunately for me, mine was a pretty rare type that isn't as aggressive as most types of ovarian cancer that you hear about it. We caught it early. And fortunately for me, the only treatment that I needed was surgery. Uh, My mom's, however, was later stage and more aggressive. Um, So it was Definitely a whirlwind, definitely one of the darkest times of both of our lives. Did your mom survive the cancer? Unfortunately, my mom passed about seven months ago in October. Oh, I am so sorry, Julia. I I am. Thank you, Andrea. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. Tell us how... How did you guys get diagnosed? Did you have symptoms? Did your mother have symptoms? And for the people listening to the podcast, I'm looking at you right now and you are young enough to be my child. So <laughs> so how old were you? I was 36 at the time. I'm 40 now. Um, so my mom went started going through the diagnosis process first. Um, she went for her regular physical with her regular doctor. She noticed she had like gained weight in her abdomen area. She just thought, you know, in her words, she said she thought she was getting fat. And um, she, the doctor realized that she had a mass and sent her to get a CT scan. And um, her diagnosis process kind of took a while, um, several weeks. So that was the beginning of December. And I'll never forget, you know, when she called me up, um, we live in different parts of the country. She lived in Maryland. Um, I live in Colorado. So we weren't physically near each other. And I'll never forget the day she called me up and said that they found a mass and that they were doing the CT scan. Like I just remember feeling just like so much anxiety, like it was so intense. And um, I was it was the Christmas season, I have an e commerce business. And I was so busy with work and I just threw myself into my work to just kind of try to get a handle, you know, cope with that anxiety that was so intense. Um, I was able to spend Christmas with her and my dad and my sister that year. And 
Then my husband and I had a trip planned to the Dominican Republic over New Year's. So we went to Maryland and then straight to the Dominican Republic for vacation. And so, you know, this anxiety had been going on for three or four weeks and it was, we were still just waiting for answers. My mom had surgery scheduled. There was suspicion that it was cancer, but the doctor didn't officially say it was. Um, and she, so she had the surgery scheduled for while we were on vacation and I was pretty upset that I wasn't going to be able to be there for her surgery. But my parents said, you know, you just go on this vacation. Like you guys have it planned, just go. So we went, um, I had a really hard time enjoying myself and, you know, we managed to do okay. You know, we went surfing and stuff, but, um, I remember one day I was laying on a beach chair and I was trying to read my Kindle and I was laying on my, I was trying to lay on my stomach and I was just like, something's not right here. Like my stomach feels hard. Um, so I just kind of didn't think a lot of it, but it was just weird. Then I actually last minute decided to fly instead of flying back to Colorado as planned, I decided to fly back to Maryland to be with my mom um, when she got out of the hospital, which is about a week later after the surgery. So this puts us at like, I don't know, January 9th or something like that. And then, you know, at this point, she had officially been diagnosed um, that so when they did the surgery, um, you know, they did the whole debulking and you know, they staged her at about 3C. The doctor that she went to never actually said an official stage, but just from my own research and my own oncologist's um, wisdom, I'm pretty sure it was stage 3C. That was, of course, you know, an emotionally intense time as well, being there during her recovery from surgery. And I was trying to cope as well there. And I was on the living room floor in my parents' house trying to do yoga. And again, I was like, I just can't lay on my stomach like this is really weird. So I thought I was pregnant. I took a pregnancy test. It was negative. And um, when I got back to Colorado, like it just kind of the sensation just kept getting worse, I guess, or just more prominent. Never had any pain or anything. It was just like a hardness or a fullness. And so on January 23rd, I went to my regular gynecologist she did an ultrasound and she was like, whoa, like you've got something big in there. It's definitely not a baby. <laughs> um, so she sent me for a CT scan. And then um, the following Monday, so January 30th, my mom was diagnosed January 3rd. I was diagnosed January 30th um, was when I had surgery to remove my tumor, which turned out to be cancerous. And like I said before, it was early stage, but we didn't know for sure that it was cancer until I had that surgery. Wow. Oh my goodness. That, that's a lot. It was that, certainly a lot. a lot. <laughs> what I find so interesting is that you had to figure out the stage of your mother's cancer. That you said her oncologist never said a very specific stage. Um, and also, if you wouldn't mind clarifying for people, you said that you and your mother had different types of ovarian cancer. So can you tell us more about that? Yes. Um, as far as the pathology goes, like I'm not sure on like the scientific terminology of what we each had. I'd have to go back and look at our path reports to know for sure. But hers uh, was more of a 
a typical, like what you hear about when um, someone has um, ovarian cancer, a more aggressive form. Um, And then mine was what they call sometimes like borderline, like there were definitely cancer cells in there, but I had a big tumor that was three pounds and just a small section of cancer within that tumor. And that mine was like a lot. The tumor was three pounds? Yes. Three pounds? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of amazing because, you know, like, I mean, you look at me like I'm not a big person. Um, It was like, well, where did you put it? (laughs) It was kind of bizarre. Um, But yeah, um, fortunately, mine was a type that was pretty rare, actually, and is not, you know, it's pretty lazy growing, you know, it's pretty slow growing compared to most types of ovarian cancer. I like that you called it lazy growing. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us what your mom's reaction was to your cancer diagnosis? When I found out that there was a chance mine might be cancer, um, I first consulted with a couple friends and of course my husband on like, just what do we do here? And then my husband and I decided, okay, we're going to call my dad. We're going to tell my dad. And then we're going to discuss, you know, do we tell my mom or not? Because my mom was so vulnerable at that time. You know, she had just been through her own surgery. She was just getting ready to start chemo. Um, she was just in this place where she was in her own severe anxiety. And we didn't want to add to that anxiety. So we decided as a family My sister was involved in the conversation as well. We decided as a family that we were going to wait to tell her. So I had surgery on Monday the 30th, and then we waited to tell my mom until after we found out the staging, which was late on Wednesday. So then, you know, my husband called my dad and um, talked to my dad, and then my dad told my mom, and then um, I actually didn't talk to my mom until I got home from the hospital later that week. Um, she was certainly shocked. I mean, as you can imagine, (laughs) like this was crazy, right? Like none of us could imagine that anything so insane and traumatic was going to happen all at once. So she was definitely taken aback. Um, she was definitely very sad, but she actually, you know, it was interesting when I got home, I finally sort of fell apart, you know, like four days after my surgery. And my aunt had come out to stay with me and my husband to just help out and provide emotional support and stuff. And so that Friday, um, I finally talked to my mom and she kind of went into mom mode, you know, even though she was like so vulnerable and so dealing with her own horrificness of what she was going through she just wanted to be my mom you know she just wanted to be there for me and you know even though she couldn't be there with me in person when we were on the phone together she just she sounded like herself actually for like the first time in a really long time like it had been a couple months since she really sounded like her because she was always in such a severe place of anxiety and suddenly she just wanted to take care of her baby, you know? Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, my goodness. Talk to me about 
your mom was about to start chemo and then what was your treatment after surgery? So my mom did um, four and a half months, you know, the typical uh, six rounds every three weeks, uh, starting in late January, early February. I can't remember exactly when she started. It was definitely challenging and she had a severe anaphylactic reaction to her first treatment. So they had to change the, they had to give her a break after that and then change um, like the mix of drugs that they were giving to her. I don't remember what specific drugs she reacted to and what she ended up being on. Um, So that was pretty upsetting for all of us as well. You know, my dad thought she was going to die that day when she started going into anaphylaxis. But fortunately, the nurses took really good care of her and she was okay. You know, fortunately for me, um, really the only thing that I had was my surgery. I didn't have any subsequent treatment, which is really a blessing. And I'm really thankful for that. Wow. And when you say surgery, did you have just the tumor removed? Did they take out that one ovary? What exactly was the surgery? They took out my right ovary and then both of my fallopian tubes. And I later found out, um, I think it was almost two years later, my mom had some genetic testing done on her tissue from the original surgery that they kept. And they actually were able to, to determine that the cancer, even though it was technically ovarian cancer, it started in her fallopian tubes. So that felt like a really good decision to me to take out my fallopian tubes, even though right now we don't have any genetic proof that our cancers were related since they were different cell types. We both had genetic testing. Everything was negative. It feels really good to me that we made the decision to remove both of my fallopian tubes. What impact did this have? You mentioned, I think, a brother and a sister. What impact did this have on your siblings, both you going through cancer and your mom? And you were in Colorado. Your mom was in Maryland. Where were your siblings? So I just have one sister, no brother. Okay. Um, I made that up. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Um, My sister is also in Maryland. She is about three hours from where my parents were living at the time. And um, it was definitely very upsetting for her. Um, She was able to spend a lot of time with my mom, but it was, she was not able to visit with me during any of my recovery period. Um, She had a a one-year-old at the time. So it was really challenging for her to travel, even just to go see my mom. So she wasn't making it to Colorado. (laughs) That's for sure. It was hard. And then, you know, I mentioned my aunt. My aunt is my mom's sister. And uh, she was the one who came out and kind of took care of me after my surgery. Um, Yeah, it was just such a shock to everyone in the family. I mean, it just, it was so hard to believe. And what about your husband? Same thing. I mean, he, you know, we were already dealing, you know, with his his mother-in-law, um, or not his mother-in-law, his mother (laughs) was um, starting to show signs of a neurological um, disease that was later diagnosed. So he already had like that on his plate. And then my mom got diagnosed or was going through her diagnosis process. I was having huge anxiety and then I got diagnosed. So it was just like things were just really piling up. So he was amazing though. I mean, he was always, you know, even though he was stressed about it, he was always such a comfort to me and always there for me and 
very, very supportive. Can you tell me during that time, and it can be about you, it can be about your mom, what was your worst moment? I would say probably when I'd been in the hospital for a couple of days, um, we were still waiting on the staging from my cancer. So we didn't know yet if I was going to need any further treatment. And we hadn't told my mom yet. And, you know, I felt awful. You know, I felt awful keeping this secret from her. We tell each other, we told each other everything. I mean, I still tell her stuff, you know, even though she's not physically with us anymore. And I didn't want to create more anxiety for her. She was in such a vulnerable place. And that evening, so it was like, a, it was Wednesday of that week. That evening, my husband crawled up onto my hospital bed with me and kind of just like curled himself up into me, which sounds kind of funny because he's bigger than me. And he told me, I, I have to tell you something. Jeff, who is was his best friend for over 40 years, had just died unexpectedly from an overdose. So it just felt like the world was absolutely falling apart in every way possible. And it was, it, I would say that was my worst moment. Oh my goodness. Wow. What about your best moment and all of it? Physically, you know, it didn't take me super long to recover. You know, it took me about six weeks or so. And I was able to go on a backcountry trip um, about six weeks after my surgery to Canyonlands National Park in Utah for four days. I went out there with my husband and four friends, and I just felt this new aliveness. I felt just so filled with gratitude for my health and for my body and just being able to get out there on a bike and be in nature and get away from the world and just spend time with friends. It was just such a beautiful time. And then shortly after that, I was able to travel back east to spend a couple weeks with my family. And one day I was sitting with my mom in the infusion clinic. She was kind of dozing, you know, she was taking Benadryl every time she went in there. So she was kind of falling asleep and I was uh, I was working on my business on my laptop and it was totally just from an inspired place, not because I had to be working um, and it was kind of just fun to be doing it to kill the time while she was asleep. And I just had this moment, suddenly it just hit me while I was sitting there. This is what life is all about. You know, it's about spending time with the ones that you love. It's about supporting them through their toughest times. It's about going on adventures and having fun, spending time in nature. I was just so grateful that I'd created this life or was beginning to create this life and this business that supported my freedom to do what I wanted when I wanted and to be able to be there with my mom. You know, it was just a really beautiful moment that always sticks out in my mind when I think about those few months. So I want to ask you about being a caregiver because you just, that's what you just described to me. And even if you weren't with your mom all the time, so, but you also were a patient, Mm -hmm. right? At the same time, 
What do you think is one of the big differences between being a caregiver in that situation and being a patient in the situation? I think as a patient, you really have to kind of surrender. You really just have to trust the process. And that is a decision, one that's not always so easy. Um, And just trust that whatever happens, whatever path is coming is the path that was meant for you. And that, you know, maybe you have some control over that path, but it's also just about letting go. Um, At least it was for me. For a caregiver, you know, you step into much more of a role of just wanting to serve and wanting to do things to comfort and to help as much as you can. And it's just, it's just a different way of being. I mean, I guess there is some surrender too in being a caregiver because there's no guarantees. You don't know what's going to happen to your loved one, but it's just a different, a different way of being. I love that. You described it really well. I really love that. If you could hold on to one memory of your mom forever, what would it be and why? I was really fortunate that, you know, I mentioned she passed away in October and I was able to spend seven of the last nine weeks of her life with her and my dad and my sister some of the time um, in Maryland. And it was really precious time to be there with her, even though it was hard seeing her, you know, in her worst state. Um, It was bittersweet. But the one really specific moment that sticks out was about three weeks before she passed. I was actually about ready to, it was the day before I was heading back to Colorado. um, And I didn't know honestly, if I was going to see her again, um, I did manage to see her again. I, I flew back when the time was near and we were, we were talking about just things that I had been doing in my life and, you know, some of the people that I'd been helping in my business. And she just got choked up and she just said, I am just so damn proud of you. You know, when you were a little girl, (laughs) You were so, so shy. Like, we thought something was wrong with you. You were so shy. (laughs) And now you're like, (laughs) and now you're like a completely different person. I just can't believe all the things that you're doing and all the people that you're helping. Um, It was just such a, a touching, precious moment. And I'm so thankful that she lived long enough to really see me, see me thriving, um, you know, after my diagnosis. Um, And to know that she played an important role in me becoming who I am today. Oh, gosh. Okay, so the podcast listeners can't see, but I am totally tearing up now. I think that is just beautiful. And it sounds very intentional on her part. It it sounds like she wanted to make sure that you knew that she was very proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just something to add to that story that's kind of private, but I'm just going to go ahead and share it because it feels right, is, um, you know, we grew up in a family where we didn't say I love you a lot. And in that, 
same, I don't think it was the exact same moment, but it was like that same day. Like I just felt like so okay with us saying it. And, you know, we just said it to each other and it was like the most natural thing. And it was just the most precious thing. And like, I will never forget that moment. Oh, well, thank you for telling us about it. Thank you so much. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. I'm just tearing up. So I'm just like, oh goodness. Um, what is the one thing that you wish you had known at the beginning of, let's say your cancer journey, because you were kind of already in it with your mom, but how about at the beginning of your cancer journey? I think it's, it, you know, even though it was the most challenging time in my life, um, it really set me on this journey of deep spiritual growth, personal growth, and it made me a better person and want me to help others. Um, For me, I see my cancer as a gift. I know that's not the case for everyone, and it certainly wasn't the way my mom saw hers. But even after everything that we went through, me individually and collectively as a family, I'm stronger now. I'm more empathetic. I take better care of my mind, my body, and my spirit. I live more authentically. I don't take life so seriously. I've built a life that I'm in love with. And I wasn't really doing that before cancer. And cancer gave me the kick in the butt that I needed to do that. So I think I would just tell myself, you know, from the beginning of that journey four plus years ago, that this is actually, this is going to be a wild ride, but it can be a really amazing ride too. There is this quote that I believe is credited to John Lennon, but it was something my mother said all the time when I was a kid. It was, um, everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard that one. (laughs) Yeah. So, Julie, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., and I'm so curious what you're going to say, given <laughs> given your really you're just you know your experience from so many different um, points of view, what would it be and why? So, I have become a huge believer in our own innate power to heal our bodies. I also believe strongly in the power of our minds to both create and heal disease. Have you seen the documentary documentary Heal? I actually have. Yeah, I did. A couple years ago at a yoga studio. (laughs) I'm obsessed with that movie. And um, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out. But if uh, listeners want to check it out, it's on Amazon Prime. I highly recommend it. Um, I believe... Put a link to it. Yeah. I believe that in general, we're so out of touch with ourselves our bodies and the inner wisdom that we're gifted with at birth, the connection to something bigger than that's more intelligent than our human selves. As a society, we are super stressed out. We're short on sleep. We don't make self-care and fun our priorities. We work our butts off. We burn ourselves out. We can't hear the clues that our bodies are giving us about our health because we're just so daggone busy. Um, I would teach that living a life that's authentic to you and lights you up 
is the key to mental, emotional, and physical well-being. And if I could do anything to change healthcare, it would be to create a society that prioritizes living life to the fullest versus running the rat race and ruining our health, quite frankly. Do you think that's everywhere or specific to American culture? I think it's it's definitely a Western thing. And I think that there's kind of different shades of it um, across Western culture. You know, Europeans take like the entire summer off from work to go play and um, not work and get in touch with themselves again. But, you know, depending on where you are in Europe, like there's different variations of that as well. So I definitely think it's starkly in contrast to Eastern culture. Yeah. Yo, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I asked just because I, I, I feel like it very much is ingrained in American culture. Yeah, absolutely. But you do see less of it in, in other, other parts of the world um, and even in Western Europe. I, I agree. I do. It's, it's very hard for, for me to slow down. So, mm-hmm. all right. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Okay. All right. Now, I hope you didn't stress about these. (laughs) Beach, desert, or mountains? (laughs) Um, It's so tough because I really do love them all. Um, I live at 9,000 feet in the Rockies, so I'm really a mountain girl through and through. (laughs) Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? The Beatles because they always make me think of my mom and dad. Oh, that's so sweet. Do they have a favorite song? <sighs> that's a good question. I'll have to ask my dad later. <laughs> okay. What is one word that best describes you? Probably free-spirited or adventurous. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Uh, Breaking Through by Leftover Salmon. Okay, what kind of band is that? Leftover <laughs> <laughs> Salmon is kind of bluegrass, kind of jam band, oh. kind, of, kind of rock. Uh, they're definitely a Colorado band, but they're they play throughout the U.S. Interesting. Maybe I should start putting people's songs in the show notes too, <laughs> yes, because you it, they're <laughs> yeah, they're so different. It's so interesting. Um, the last meal you want to eat. Maryland crab cakes. Yeah. Mm, okay. I'm with you on that. Uh, the last person you want to see. My hubby. And the last words you will speak. No regrets. My life was absolutely amazing. Oh my goodness. Very, very few people can say that. And aside from Cancer You, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I want you to definitely tell us a little bit more about what you do now. I don't so much have a specific resource as a tool. And that is EFT tapping. So emotional freedom technique. Um, It's something that really helps ease anxiety and can really help you calm down when that fear and anxiety from cancer or anything is creeping in and it's super powerful to help you move through negative emotions and release them with ease and help you feel better fast. Um, It helps you feel the emotions, um, but in a really light, easy way that helps you move through them quickly um, versus saying, you know, 
I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. And like really having resistance around emotions that we perceive as negative, like anxiety, it helps us sort of own, own that negative emotion and then release it in a really quick succession of steps. And it's really easy to learn. So there is actually um, a great resource that I would use or recommend to check out that if you're not already familiar with tapping is the tapping foundation they have an app called just search for tapping on your app store and it'll come up for sure okay we will put a link to the tapping foundation in the notes so we'll make sure um now if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way to get in touch with you so you can reach out on my website juliabaldwintaylor.com um, on the contact page. Um, I also hang out on Instagram quite a bit and my handle is Julia Baldwin Taylor. That's easy to remember. So, <laughs> so if I Google that, it's just going to be you, right? I don't think there are any other Julia Baldwin Taylors out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Julia, thank you so much for sharing your story, but also sharing your mom's story when I do these interviews, I actually don't do too much background because I, I don't want to know uh, other than what someone's shared on the form. I didn't expect to get so emotional in this interview, um, but I, I really appreciate you sharing your mother's story and, and that beautiful memory. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's really what creates connection, um, even with people that you don't know. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown's work, but she talks a lot yeah, about how being vulnerable facilitates that connection. And I think that's so important. I just feel like we live in a society where we're so starved for human connection, especially in the last year with the pandemic, you know, it's been so challenging. So, you know, if, if my story helps someone because they felt connected to me, then that's a big deal. And I'm happy to share. Oh. Well, thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.